Father, we have confessed our trust and faith in you. We believe that all of your promises are yes through Christ. And through him, all of your word will be fulfilled. When you give your word, it cannot be broken. It will be done. Every single promise will come to pass. And yet you have often seen that in our hearts we doubt you. And Lord, we frequently live as though your word is not true. And I would ask you to forgive us. Forgive us when we ignore you. Forgive us when we find more contentment in other things than you. Forgive us when we fall short of your glory. But through your grace, we can repent. And you have pardoned us through the wounds of Christ. Therefore, we will hope and trust in you. You are the foundation of our hope and the spring of everlasting life. And so, Lord, teach us to do your will. Teach us to delight in your word. Teach us to desire you alone. And let us believe that everything that you do is for our good. Lord, help us to leave our concerns with you. Let us entrust them into your powerful hands. For you alone have all power. You alone have conquered evil. You alone give spiritual growth and physical strength. Bless us with Abraham's faith, the kind of faith that never wavered, even in the middle of incredible situations. Lord, let us not too much focus on our problems, but help us to glorify you, even in our pain. Let us cherish your name and your glory. And God, grant us a work of grace that would advance our pursuit of your holiness so that we can reach out by faith and lay hold of you. Would you walk us through fog of fear and valleys of doubt so that we could stand with you in the river of eternal life? Give us faith to unfailingly trust in you, Lord Jesus, and never turn from your purposes for our lives. Let us not be shaken in the time of wars and rumors of wars, but let us, each one of us, hoping in your name, remain steadfast in your love. For you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone belong glory and honor and wisdom and power. And through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite Caitlin Dyer to come and read scripture. This morning's scripture passage is from Matthew 9, 18 through 26. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for this girl is not dead, but sleeping. Hmm. 
And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. If you have your Bible, just keep it open to Matthew chapter 9. The verses that we are focusing on are verses 18 to 26, and I hope you'll keep that close at hand. Um, What are we doing? We're following Jesus. We're following him through Matthew. Do you remember what Jesus said to Matthew? He said, follow me. That's what we're doing. Every week, that's what we do. We follow him through his word. So if you're wondering, um, why are you spending so much time in Matthew? That's just, we're following Jesus. So today, uh, we bump into four topics. Jesus, daughters, disease, and death. So we'll spend a little time thinking about this, but let's get the picture for uh, what we're doing. Matthew is essentially helping you believe in Jesus as the Messiah. He's providing evidence to convince you that Jesus is the Christ. You could think of it as, um, you know, the first century indeed. He's building Jesus' messianic resume. He's helping you understand why you should put all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your faith and your trust in Jesus. All of it. Even when the world's falling apart, Matthew wants your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that's, that's what he is about. We've seen him pointing us to the authority of Jesus because that's where Matthew's primary purpose has been focusing. It's on his absolute unquestionable authority over everything. So he's giving us examples of his authority. If you've been here with us, you've heard it several times, but we've seen it over disease, over distance, over demons, over storms, over sin, um, over unclean spirits, even a whole herd of them. Religious rituals we saw last week as Jesus talks about fasting and answered the question of John the Baptist disciples. And today, we will see his authority over chronic disease and even death. Uh, chronic disease and even death. So there are three scenes, kind of what we're going to see today. Um, he'll take us through 12 years. He'll take us through three scenes, three interruptions, two daughters, uh, and one Messiah. It's kind of where Matthew takes us today. If you like numbers, then maybe that'll be helpful. First scene happens around the supper table in Matthew's house with a bunch of sinners and weird wacko people. The second scene happens out on a crowded street. Third scene happens in a house with a bunch of people in the living room and then kind of uh, migrates into the privacy of a bedroom where we will see a little 12-year-old girl who has died. So first scene, let's go back. Matthew's house. We pick this up and see the, uh, the first interruption. So look with me in your, your copy of Scripture. Jesus has uh, been talking to the disciples of John who asked him a question, Why do your disciples not fast, and we're fasting, and the Pharisees are fasting, and yet you're not? And so Jesus is answering this question when this verse begins. And so verse 18, while he was saying these things, that's what he was saying. He was explaining the difference that his coming makes to fasting. So Jesus has changed an entire religious ritual, a routine. He's changing the meaning. So he's demonstrating his authority over religious routine. And while he's saying these things, 
Here's the first interruption. A ruler rushes in. A ruler came in and knelt before him saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. There's a couple of things that's just quite amazing. I, I never am, I, I don't tire of discovering wonder in God's word. Psalm 119 contains a, a prayer of the psalmist who says, open my eyes to see wonders in your word. And I, I pray that. I pray it every, every time I'm, I'm preaching and studying the Bible. I invite you, pray that. Open up my eyes to see wonders in your word. And, and I want to invite you, let's just pray it right now as we look to God's word. Father, open up our eyes to see wonderful things in this little story, this event, this interaction with a ruler and two daughters. And I pray that you would minister to our souls and grant faith and grant hope and change our lives. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Matthew's house, a tax collector, they're all sitting at dinner. Jesus is explaining, fasting, he's having a theological question. And while he's saying these things, behold, here's Matthew's favorite word, behold, get your attention, pay attention to this, look at this, something crazy just happened, is what he's saying 40 times Matthew uses behold in this gospel. Jesus is incredible is what he's trying to say in so many words. And so behold, a ruler comes in and he knelt down before him. And again, what is Matthew doing? I said he's about authority. And now he's showing you there is a ruler, a person of authority who comes in. And what does he do? He bows in front of Jesus. So here's a a person of authority, a ruler, who bows in front of Jesus. And if you want to get fuller information on this, especially some of you in life groups who are studying this, Mark 5, verses 21 to 43, Luke 8, verses 40 to 56, give you an expanded version of this. Matthew does not. He zooms in on what he wants to see. Matthew's account of this is a third the size of Luke's, and it uh, marks as two-thirds as, as more than, than what we find in Matthew. So there's a lot of information here that Matthew does not tell us. And yet, he wants to focus in on the authority of Jesus, and so he says he is a ruler. Now, Mark and Luke both tell us he was actually a ruler of the synagogue. So he, he's an official in the synagogue. So he's responsible for the oversight of the synagogue. He's, he's that kind of ruler. And that's what he wants you to see. This guy, this ruler, local, regional authority in the synagogue, he's the one who's bowing down in front of Jesus, who's in the middle of a theological conversation around dinner. First interruption. Jesus is talking and eating, and this guy rushes in, but look what he says. Look, look, look what the urgency is. Look why he interrupts. My daughter has just died, so lay, come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. He, he's desperate, right? He's, this is the first daughter we meet here. Um, my daughter has just died, so come, lay your hand on her. And I wonder, why does he think this? I mean, Jesus has, we've seen him touch a leper. We have seen that already in Matthew's gospel. We've saw Jesus touch Peter's mother-in-law and raise her up. 
Why on earth does he think Jesus could come and touch his little baby girl and bring her back to life? She's 12 years old. She's not baby girl, but my baby girl's 22, and I still call her baby girl. So he, he needs a touch. She needs a touch. And so he says, come and touch her. So what do you conclude about this man's faith in Jesus? Now, it's a different kind of faith than the faith of the centurion. If you remember the centurion, who, when Jesus came into town in the Capernaum, he said to him, uh, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. You could just say the word right here, and my paralyzed servant will be raised up. Remember that? that Jesus said about that man's faith, I haven't seen anything like this in all of Israel. This man believes Jesus can raise the dead, but you got to go and touch him, right? So it's a different kind of faith. Maybe we might say slightly weaker, and yet this is extraordinary. An extraordinary request. And, and one of the things I ask is, why does he come to Jesus? He's a ruler. He's probably wealthy. He's at least well-to-do. He's, he's fairly well-off, and he's got some money. I'm sure any person who of means would be going to any great lengths he possibly could in order to secure health care for his little daughter. And, and he's trying his best to take care of her. He's a loving father who goes out of his way for his daughter. So he's doing all that he can. But what's the result? She's still dying. She's at the point of death. And, and, and now she has just died. And so where did this man get this faith? I suspect he has exhausted every, mean, every means possible. There's no more doctors who can help. There's, there's, there's the, the, you know, the pharmacy is empty. Everything he's tried, it didn't work. None of it has helped his daughter. And he has expended himself. And so he is going to Jesus because there's no place else to go. I think. I think that's probably what happens. He's, he's exhausted all human means and he's, I heard about Jesus. His name has gone around. The reputation has been circulating throughout the town. And so he goes to Jesus and, and, and the little girl has died. And since I'm married, I just kind of wonder, guys, what do you think your wife would say if your daughter just died and you run out of the house? Where in the world are you going? What is wrong with you? And he's, he's off. But this guy has something in his mind. He is ready to go through anything in order to get to Jesus. So he presses through everybody to fall in front of him. And he says, my little daughter just died. So can you come? You just touch her, touch her and she will be raised up. He is confident that Jesus can take care of his problem. He has faith to believe that Jesus can solve his issue and give life to his little, his little girl, which is amazing to me. Absolutely astounding. And what's more amazing is verse 19. Look at verse 19. What does Jesus do? He follows him. He rises and follows him. Now, we've seen some rising and following in this chapter so far. When Jesus raised the paralytic, he raised him up from being unable to walk, and he sent him home to his family. We saw Jesus call Matthew. He said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed. And here Jesus is now rising and following this man to go to his house. So that's the end of scene number one. 
Scene number one, he's leaving the supper table. He's leaving his theological... Con- I think he probably had some more to say on fasting, but he didn't get to it. He got interrupted, and so he's off with this guy. Scene two, out into the streets, crowded streets. The other Gospels would tell us there were a crowd of people around, no doubt curious what's about to happen. So look at me with verses 20 and 22. And what's the next word? Behold! Look! Something to see here. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Second interruption. Jesus is now moving. He left Matthew's house. He's walking to this guy's house. There's a crowd of people who are following him. He's on his way. And then suddenly this interruption unfolds from a suffering woman. She has been suffering for 12 years with a discharge of blood. And so this probably has something to do with with her menstrual cycle, which is not working. And she has been for 12 years suffering from this chronic illness. And Mark and Luke both tell us that during this 12-year period, she spent everything she had trying to get well. She spent all of her money. She had gone from physician to physician trying to be healed. None of them could take care of her. In fact, Luke says she could not be healed by anyone. In Luke 8.43, she couldn't be healed. She has spent everything she had trying to be healed, and there's nothing that could be solved for her. So this is not only a physical suffering, there's also a social kind of suffering here, because given her condition, there are rules in the Old Testament about uh, discharges of blood that uh, continue beyond the normal menstrual cycle, and so she would have been considered unclean. She would have had to keep herself away from everyone. She would have not been able to be a part of any kind of religious ceremony, any kind of corporate ceremony where people are gathered. She would have been off to the side and unable to participate intimately. And so, curious, imagine 12 years of social isolation. This is what she has gone through. 12 years of being alone and exiled and cut off from everyone's life. And so she, again, she has no hope. She, she has nothing to do. No money, no more physicians, and yet she knows that Jesus can touch him. So this helps us understand why she came up behind him. She doesn't want to be seen. She's in a crowd. She shouldn't even be in the crowd because Leviticus, Leviticus would say any touch from her would make a person whom she touched unclean. And then that's a real pain because you know the Old Testament rules on getting clean again once you've been unclean. You got to do laundry, all your clothes, everything you had on has to be laundered, washed. You have to um, then go bathe, take a bath, and you got to wait until evening, until the sun goes down, and tomorrow you're good. Well, it postpones a lot of plans. It's really inconvenient. And yet imagine how many times has she accidentally touched someone and had to say unclean? And, and she did she get yelled at? No, no doubt she came up hiding in the crowd. This provides the cover that she needs in order to get close to Jesus. She has no place else to go. Only Jesus can take care of her problem. And you notice, she's convinced he can solve her issue. And you ask the question, where does she get this faith? How would she believe this? She believes Jesus can solve her issue and heal her. And so she has to get near him. She said, if only I could touch... I don't want to touch him. 
I don't want to get so close to him that I touch his body. I just to touch his, the fringe of his garment and I will be made clean. Notice that she says that in verse 20. If I could just touch his garment, I will be made clean. She does not doubt at all. And she trusts in him until she makes her way through the crowd and gets to him. She had faith in Jesus and she acted on it. In fact, against the opposition of whatever crowd would have been there and running the risk of being yelled at by the people all around her, she presses on to touch him. And in the crowd, she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus noticed. Verse 22. Jesus turned He's headed one direction. She's behind him. He realizes someone touched me and she, he turns around to see who touched him. Now the other Gospels provide a little aside between Peter and Jesus. When Jesus turns around, he says, who touched me? And Peter says, what are you talking about? There's a crowd around you. They're all thronging you is the word that is used. They're pressing in. The better question is, who's not touching you? And Jesus says, who touched me? And this woman, Luke tells us, when she realized, I'm sorry, Mark 5.33, when she realizes she can't stay hidden, she comes to Jesus and, and it says, in fear and trembling, and she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So she has, she, I, I'm, I'm not going to stay hidden. So she tells Jesus, it, it was me. I, I touched you. And she tells the whole story. For 12 years, I have been going through this agony of this discharge of blood. I've, I've gone to everybody. Nobody can help me. I, I've spent all my money. Uh, Medicare has run out. Everything has gone. I, ha I have no resources. I'm desperate but I know you can heal me. So yes, I touched you. I touched the hem of your garment. No, I'm sorry, uh, you're unclean now. I'm wondering, does she expect Jesus to yell at her? I'm unclean. Who knows what past experience she has had with people. And, and do you think the disciples, do you think Peter is frowning about now? You know what Peter and all the other disciples did when little kids came to Jesus, right? They got ticked off when little kids came near Jesus. How much more some unclean woman who doesn't even know Jesus. And yet I'm sure, I'm quite sure, she was expecting to get yelled at. And even, I think, Jairus is the name of the father that we are told in one of the other Gospels. He... He didn't have time for this. We don't have time for this interruption in the middle of our journey. He's coming to take care of my little dead girl. Stay aside, woman. And yet, no, nobody yells. And in fact, look at the words of Jesus, verse 22. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Take heart. That's exactly the same phrase that Jesus used when he raised the paralytic. Same word. Take heart. Be encouraged. He's essentially saying, it's okay. And not only is it okay, he speaks very tenderly to her and he says, daughter. Daughter. He said the same thing to the paralytic. He said, your sins are forgiven, my son. Daughter, an intimate, close word. She has been called unclean for 12 years. Get out of the way. Stay far away. And Jesus now says, you're part of my family. You are my daughter. And so, don't worry. It, it is okay. I am not offended. I am not going to yell at you. I am not angry. You're my daughter. And then next, even better, your faith has made you well. 
It appears this woman had a little confusion about what actually could make her well. She's thinking there's some sort of um, supernatural magical component, whatever word you might want to use to this clothes. If I can just touch his clothes, right? The power in Jesus' body is communicated to his garments. So if I could just get near him. And Jesus wants to eliminate the confusion. Don't think my clothes did anything. It, your faith in me. That, that's where the faith resided. It is your faith in me that has made you well. My shoes, my clothes, my robe does nothing. But me, faith in me, yes, faith in me has made you well. And so Jesus' power, his cleanness, has overcome her uncleanness. His goodness, his tenderness has overcome all of her fears. And she has heard some amazing things. And it says in verse 22, instantly the woman was made well. So 12 years of anxiety, of grief, of exile, of being cut off and separated and being apart, all of that washed away in two, three, four minutes with Jesus, however long it took her to tell her story. And now she has brought near. And this is a good thing this happened in public. Why? Everybody heretofore has understood this woman needs to stay away. Jesus has now publicly said... My daughter, it's okay. He has, he has publicly welcomed her with signals to the entire watching community. Don't cut her off anymore. She is all right. She is good. She is clean. And so this blessing, incredible to her, her who was called unclean, now has been called daughter. So that's the end of the second scene. She's free. She's set free. She's cleansed. She is um, completely healed and delivered of her suffering, both physical and social. Scene three. We make it to the house of Jairus, this ruler who has come to get Jesus. So now we move into the final scene. We're going to go into the house. There's a, probably a larger room that is filled with people, we'll see. And then we're going to end up concluding in the bedroom. So verses 23 to 26. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all of the district. So here's the third interruption. Jesus interruption, interrupts awake. We might think of, he comes in, the mourners are there, the, the flute players and the crowd. These are the professional mourners uh, in Jewish custom. The Mishnah, which is a collection of rabbis' commentaries on applying the law, dictated that in the case of a death, here's what it says, even the poorest man in Israel should not hire fewer than two flute players and one professional wailing woman. So th this is a whole ordeal. And, and, and funerals had to happen quick. And so at least a couple of fl flute players. This guy's well-to-do. He's got some means. So there's, there's more than one wailing woman. There's lots of wailing, lots of commotion going on, lots of flute playing. And in fact, the word commotion, believe it or not, this word means it's the uproar that is caused during a riot. So this is exceedingly loud. Uh, noisy situation, this cacophony of voices and crying and weeping and wailing and fluting and Jesus says, go away. Go away. The girl is not dead but sleeping. And what do the professional mourners do? 
Do you see that? They all crack up laughing. So we go from mourning to laughing in an instant when Jesus says, she's not dead, she's asleep. We're professional mourners. We're around dead people all the time. We know when she's dead. This girl is dead. You're nuts. You're off your rocker, is what they are saying. And this is interesting. Verse 25. When the crowd was put outside, when the crowd went out, Jesus went in. The Greek word for put out is ekbalo. It is the same word that is used when Jesus casts out demons. And it is the same word that is used when Jesus overturned the money tables and drove them out. It's the same word. So the the short definition, to throw out, to expel, or to jettison. So Jesus jettisoned these mocking mourners out of the house. He he ran out. I'm not going to have this. He... What kind of authority is that? Would you ever dare go to somebody's wake and say, please leave. Get out. I'm about to change the evening. It's incredible authority. And when they went out, Jesus goes in. And look what happens. He took her, verse 25, he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And now we have another rising that we have seen in Matthew's trying to convince you to believe in Jesus. He didn't dance or sing or perform some incantation or mix up a potion or shout hallelujah 45 times. He just took her by the hand and he said, get up. He, he, Jesus, can raise someone from the dead as easy as you and I could wake somebody up from a nap. That's what's happening here. The authority of Jesus over death is breathtaking here. Absolutely striking. So this man got what he was looking for. He was able to receive his little 12-year-old girl back into his arms in the privacy of a little bedroom. Jesus only allowed Peter, James, and John, and mom and dad to see what took place here, to see this little girl come back to life. And so look at the final verse. And the report of this went through all of that district. I bet it did. (laughs) Amen. When when a, a woman who has had a chronic disease for 12 years is healed, when she who has been kept away from every civic function is now there, That'll make news. Or or when a little 12 year old girl has died of some disease and she, you see her on the playground? Absolutely. This is going to make news. And so the news spread. Quite amazing to see what has happened. When Jesus walks in, he changes everything. He shows up at all the places and and makes a difference and everybody realizes it. So when this wake gets canceled, Jesus has interrupted because he woke up the dead girl and that certainly would make news. And so, uh, let me just conclude with some thoughts. What should we think about Jesus here? He doesn't mind interruptions. I, I think I, I've heard this from people who would, would you please pray for me because God, he's, he doesn't listen to my prayers. He's, he's too busy. We feel that sometime. And here's Jesus in the middle of dinner, middle of a conversation. He's interrupted. He's on his way. He gets interrupted again. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't yell and scream and fuss and fume. 
He takes interruptions and sees God at work in them. God can be at work in the interruptions of our lives. Don't miss it. Jesus also responds to faith, however weak and wobbly it is. This man, we saw, he said, you got to come and touch her. Jesus could have said, your daughter's raised. He would even have to go into the house. And yet he responded to this man's weaker faith. And this woman thought, if I could just touch his clothes, there's no magic garment. And yet Jesus responded to her where she was. So Jesus responds to faith. And third, both of these people bow before Jesus. This ruler comes in, he bows before Jesus and makes his requests. And then lastly, we see this woman bowing before Jesus in the crowd. Bow before Jesus. That's why I had you bow today when we prayed. Just to get on our knees and be reminded, he is the Lord of the universe. Uh, Fourth, Jesus raises up those whom life has laid low. Jesus lifts up the lowly. He lifts up those who are humble. He lifts up those who are hopeless. He lifts up those who are destroyed. And so go to him. He is the most authoritative person in the world. And fifth, Jesus is willing to join you in your mourning. He's willing to meet you in the middle of your mourning. If you have faith in him, he has power to turn sorrow into singing. He can, you reach out to him, he reaches out to you. And lastly, Jesus has authority over disease and death. He possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. There is no other authority on the planet. His authority to forgive sin and to overturn faith, I mean overturn death, is called for our faith. And do you, do you believe that? Do you have faith in Him? Do you trust His authority? Even when He says, no, I'm not going to heal. This is not the time. Or, I'm not going to rescue you at this moment. She went through 12 years of suffering. And yet, she had faith in Jesus. Could we do the same? Would our faith remain steadfast through all that we have been through? I invite you, think about this incredible Jesus. Because at the touch of His hand, life overcomes death. Cleanness overcomes uncleanness. Victory overcomes defeat. Faith overcomes doubt. Despair gives way to hope. Darkness gives way to light. Slavery gives way to freedom. Commotion gives way to calm. Mourning gives way to laughter. And joy gives way to sorrow. This is the authority of Jesus. And Can your faith rise up like these two that we see? Rise up to worship Him and to raise your hands and to praise Him. Even in the middle, if your life is in the middle of a storm, I invite you. Would would you be able to worship Him in these kind of situations? Let's pray together. Father, we ask you, give us the faith to believe in you without wavering. Every one of us in this room, Lord, No matter what situation we find ourselves in, may we believe in you, Lord Jesus. May we trust in your authority. Would you cause our hearts, as we knelt before you at the beginning of this sermon, Lord Jesus, would you fill us with faith to trust in you, no matter what may come. And Lord, we ask, would you refresh our hearts and our souls in you, 
as we look to your authority, would we believe unwaveringly that you have authority over chronic disease and that you have authority over death itself, that you have authority to forgive sins and that you have authority to take us who have have been cast out and draw us near. You have the authority to say to sinners, you are now my son or my daughter. And Jesus, through you, all of that can happen. And so Lord, I pray, let everyone listening to my voice know where they stand with you in relationship to you. Can, can we say, I'm a son or a daughter? Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus? Have I asked for forgiveness of sins? Have I repented and turned away from my sins in order to cling with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength to you, Lord Jesus? Lord, let that be true in our lives. And I pray that our faith would rise up within us this week, that you would carry us through whatever it is that we may face. Let us lean upon you. And even as we sing right now, Lord Jesus, would you let faith and joy in your authority and in your power rise up within us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.